Welcome to I'm Obsessed With This, the last I'm Obsessed With This of the year, the Netflix podcast about the shows and films viewers cannot get enough of, sort of like how we cannot get enough year-end content. Today, I'm joined via satellite or phone, whatever, by my colleague and friend, Christine Fryer. Hello, Christine. Hi, Bob. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited to get into all of the uh, crazy things that 2019 brought our way online. And there's going to be so many crazier things happening in 2020 now, too, but I don't think we can get into that. How was your day? What are you drinking? Any water? Any seltzer? I have a coconut water with me here for my vocal cords. Uh, I'm feeling very refreshed. How about you? I'm feeling very refreshed, too. I'm just drinking tap water. Mm -hmm. Wholesome. Oh, did I tell you how much my mom liked your episode on diagnosis? (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Mrs. Finger. (laughs) Just just to put it out there, she really liked Christine's episode. I just really, I really, and that show, I should watch that show. What a service you provided. Listen, if even one mom watches diagnosis because of my recommendation, my work here is done. What have you been watching on Netflix lately that isn't among your top shows and films of the year? Oh, you know what was awesome? Hmm. Astronomy Club. It's a sketch show from just kind of like a New York-based sketch group and super fun. I have not watched Marriage Story yet because I just can't. (laughs) I can't. I will watch it in the next two weeks because I need to watch all of the, you know, the big, you know, award season-y movies by the end of December. That's a little goal that I'm setting for myself, but I just haven't gotten to it. It's a little too much. I did The Irishman last night and I loved it. Oh, wow. But Marriage Story? Can't do it. I'm not there yet. I will at some point. I'm in a similar position where both of those texts to me are like a vitamin that I have to, like, I don't want to, (laughs) but like I will for fiber. Mm -hmm. And like, but I'm in the inverse taste wise where like I have seen Marriage Story and like will absolutely end up watching The Irishman like... In April. Uh, Upset. Yeah. (laughs) The funny thing about Marriage Story, though, it's one of those movies that, like, because it's semi-autobiographical, like, you watch it more so, or at least I do, because I'm the way I am. Like, I, it's very fun to just think about Noah Baumbach and this divorce and, like, Mm -hmm. what is a real detail and what is... An amalgam of a bunch of different people that they know. Yeah. It's just kind of fun to decide how you feel about Noah Baumbach. That's what Marriage Story is for me. Is like, are you a good person or not? Yeah, that's how I was when I watched Phantom Thread. You've seen Phantom Thread, right? Yes. Where you're just like, how much of this is P.T. Anderson and Maya Rudolph and how much of it is invented? Because... (laughs) He said that it's pseudo-autobiographical, like it, it was inspired by his marriage to Maya Rudolph. But like, what, <laughs> what, does what that led mean? us to this point? Yeah. That could mean anything. He could be talking about any scene in that movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It could be like, pass the tea. I was on the Netflix feed earlier this weekend and I was like, am I going to watch Marriage Story or not? Like, am I going to do this or not? And I did not. I like watched a scene from Something's Gotta Give, <laughs> which whatever, that seems to happen frequently. But my the <laughs> the thing was showing my list and a, underneath my list that the category, which I had not seen until this weekend, was Watch in One Weekend. Oh, Have you seen Watch in One Weekend? I have not gotten that category. That sounds like a great sounds like set a of Really stuff. good category. And so I was hovering between Marriage Story and a Watch in One Weekend show called Kitten Rescuers. And I was like, this seems so much more appealing. Kitten hmm. Rescuers. Like, What's more palatable? 
no offense to Noah Bombach, but I would love to see kittens getting rescued. <laughs> you don't want to watch Adam Driver <laughs> cry about his divorce instead I of do- watching a woman like hand rear some kittens? Nurse them back to health, find them families. Noah Bombach is like, I know that like the algorithm controls a lot, but can you just make sure that Marriage Story is never adjacent to kitten rescuers because we'll, we will not get eyes on Marriage Story if the competition is kitten rescuers. I'm sure no one who makes content for Netflix wants to be next to kitten rescuers because it's always going to win. <sighs> okay. Um, Martin Scorsese's like, please. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is my nightmare. Oh my word. <laughs> I'm cat crazy and I'm not the only one. I'll be bringing you daring rescues, meeting the people that will go the extra mile for our moggies, and I'll be rolling my sleeves up to see what I can do to help. Let's just hope I don't end up taking my work home with me. So on today's episode, the last episode of season two of I'm Obsessed With This, Christine and I are going to talk about our favorite Netflix movies and TV shows and specials of 2019. We're not going to rank them, but we both have number ones. We've got some overlap. We have very unique selections on both of our lists, which is very nice. You want these sort of contrasting opinions just so you can get a wide variety of things. We have different tastes. We're different people, but sometimes things just are universally appealing and we're going to get into that. Let's just hit the ground running. Christine, what's one of your favorite things on Netflix in 2019? I'm going to start with just a show that I feel like (laughs) lived its entire life kind of before the hugest crest of maybe like Netflix releases being like immediately watchable. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt's finale was this year, like its final season. Actually, speaking of semi-autobiographical pieces of art that are fun to speculate about what they signify to the artist, I think there's something fascinating about watching a prevalent female comic write a female-helmed comedy about a woman who was locked in a bunker trying to like assimilate to society and finding that all of her impulses are wrong. Mm -hmm. I wish that there were more thoughtful writing, I guess, about like what that show is and less reaction to kind of the gem tones and unicorns of it all, Mm -hmm. because it actually is heavily branded personal writing (laughs) that I think it could be easy to not notice. So I was happy to see that show kind of come come to a close in a way that felt true to it and true to the arc that it was trying to kind of set out to create in the beginning. Because it kind of took a veer. I don't know if you watched it at all. Oh, yeah. It's on, it's on my list as well. Oh, perfect. Like, I love that they kind of <laughs> pivoted away from college. Mm-hmm. Like, they were like, oh, college isn't working. Let's not be there anymore. (laughs) A lot of Kimmy Schmidt didn't work pretty frequently. But Mm -hmm. when it worked, it was so good. And I think that's why I I kept watching and why I was kind of sad when it ended. You wanted to see the strong, muscly parts kind of fight their way through more and have the other parts sing a little less. And the final season does that for it. Mm -hmm. Or, like, you got to send it off to see and be like, yes, the show that I liked and had opinions about what could be better for it. (laughs) Like, there she goes. I will move ahead with another show that I know is on your list. Perfect. Russian Doll. Oh, fuck yeah. Which, (laughs) speaking of watching a weekend, the category... As I've mentioned probably countless times in this podcast at this point, I'm not 
particularly great at binging uh, unless I'm mandated by this particular job where it's like you need to watch all of La Casa de Papel today. I It's going to be tough for me. I'm going to spread it out over like long stretches of time. But Russian Doll was what, eight episodes, half an hour. I watched the entire thing in an afternoon simply because I wanted to, you know, like I I wanted to keep going and it was a great experience. And I, I don't really think another show that was on Netflix this year gave me the feeling that Russian Doll gave me um, or was anything like what Russian Doll was. Natasha Leone. What a powerhouse. What a powerhouse. You liked it as well, I assume. I know. I liked it a lot. I love putting Natasha Leone as a leading lady. Mm-hmm. She shines in an ensemble, but in a different way than when you put her by herself. When you put her by herself, you're really like, this is mm-hmm. a whole ass interesting full person who is deserving yeah. of your time. And that's yeah. not necessarily something you see from TV and like middle-aged women. No shade. Women over 30. Yeah. So I thought it was like a tight role and she knocked it out of the park. I'm always very drawn to shows about, which is one of the reasons why Orange is the New Black was so good, especially in those early seasons, which were a little, which were a little lighter than the later seasons. But like shows about platonic friendships, I think are rarer than shows that sort of always rely on relationships. And for the central relationship to be between not just Natasha Leone and her friends who were throwing her her birthday party, but Natasha Leone and that guy, the other guy who's played by Charlie Barnett as just like two people who meet and have to work together to just figure this shit out but there isn't really maybe there's a there's a little bit of sexual tension between them but that's kind of neither here or there it's like these two people who just need each other because they need to figure out what's going on i think is just a nice dynamic that is all too rare in television i would say definitely and it gave us sweet birthday baby how could you hate sweet birthday baby greta lee (laughs) and cockroach (laughs) yes and Thursday, what a concept. <laughs> the memes alone from Russia and Doll were a gift this year. Get home for the oh, sweet birthday, baby. Do not offer me that. Nads, what the fuck? I am not a cockroach. Why would you call me a cockroach? I mean, what does that even fucking mean, a cockroach? What's another pick on your list? Oh, Our Planet I wanted to talk about. Oh. Um, I thought it was a delight to kind of get planet earthy footage with david attenborough like fully confronting you about global warming (laughs) yeah david attenborough is not happy he's like do you like this bird great because the earth is on fire (laughs) and there's (laughs) only a limited time to save it yeah it was it was incredibly dark i think we're so used to the planet earth documentaries and just those documentaries that came before and after it that are the same like sort of lush beautiful nature documentaries that make you like look a at the planet and say, wow like look at our planet like it's so beautiful we're so lucky we don't think about it enough isn't it awe inspiring i can't believe it and this one is immediately confrontational and it's like yeah do you see it good luck this sucks those animals are killing themselves and you're Get like working, and it's honey. all because of you and it's all because of you it's so intense and there's sort of a learning curve when you're watching it because it's like oh this isn't this isn't just planet earth again this is truly a call to arms that is going to be tough on you be you get the feeling that he wanted to he's been wanting to say this for a long time and he was sort of talked off a ledge maybe like well we can't really do that this has to be a beautiful thing that like everyone will want to buy and watch yeah like david like we need the facts to be a little more upbeat 
like could we just keep it like I know that you want the stats in there but also just like make sure we're talking about fuzzy and like cute and hug I wonder how many times he recorded things for the other planet earths and then they just <laughs> cut them <laughs> they were like you know what don't use that part Rodney you can cut those just put them in the you can put them in the trash can no 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 you don't we don't have to save them just put them in the trash can all across our planet crucial connections are being disrupted the stability that we and all life relies upon is being lost what we do in the next 20 years will determine the future for all life on Earth. Next on my list, it's Grace and Frankie. Oh, yeah. You forget that this show, I was like, was, did this show air in 2018 or was it 2018? It's like, no, this show has been airing like at least once a year. There's been a new season at least <laughs> once a year since 2015. They keep wow. churning them out, which is lucky us, you know, it's our win. It's becoming more bittersweet. Uh, it, it's always funny because it's the two of them. And also, honestly, the whole cast is great. Like Peter Gallagher is now just a recurring character on it all the time. June Diane Raphael is amazing. They're digging into the fact that these people are getting older and they're not just getting older, they're dying. And it's actually confronting time and death in a way that like shows don't normally get the opportunity to because they're not about old people. They're not about people who are literally in their twilight years. And it's getting sort of sad, and I'm very, I'm very excited to see what the final season is all about when it premieres next month. I loved Jane Fonda's scene with Peter Gallagher, where she's like, "I don't know if you're ready to date me," and like takes her little clip and hair out, and like shows her knee brace. I want to say, mm-hmm. and like does she just kind of like reveals uh, all of the details of her age that her outfit had been hiding, kind of, yeah. and was like, "I'm actually." your significantly older girlfriend or not significant but like we're in two different phases of our lives and Mm -hmm. as someone who's 31 years old like the reading I do about seniors is like broad brushstrokes headlines where it's like the seniors are having more sex than you would think or Mm -hmm. like (laughs) the STDs are like passing through yeah (laughs) like the seniors are busy (laughs) but like I hadn't really ever had occasion to imagine something like what happened in that scene where it's like oh yeah even if you're kind of like 73 and your boyfriend is 55 like that's different so like Mm -hmm. grace and frankie is maturing gracefully and (laughs) frankly wow and i was wrong i said that the next season that premieres in january would be its last but no the season after that will be its last seven is the end Oh, okay. So we have two more Grace and Frankie seasons left. Two more to go. Then it's going to be over. It'll have a total of, this is a fact I just saw, at the end of its seventh season, it will have had 94 episodes, which will make it the longest running Netflix original series in history. Oh my God. Grace and Frankie. For Grace and Frankie. I'm so much better because of you. Me too. And not only because we went through hell together. No, because we made it back together. You're my best friend and my partner, and I I need you. I need you, too. What is next on your list, Christine? Rhythm and Flow. Did you watch that? I didn't watch Rhythm and Flow. Okay. Convince me to watch Rhythm and Flow. Rhythm and Flow is, for people who don't recognize that title when I'm saying it, it's the Netflix reality competition show that was judged by Cardi B, T.I., 
and holy crap, I'm forgetting the third judge. Chance the Rapper, a very famous person. Um, (laughs) The three judges like traveled to different cities in the United States, kind of like American Idol style and auditioned different rappers from different regions and then kind of brought the cream of the crop back to L.A., to have them compete in different challenges with like escalating levels of difficulty and at the end they named like a supreme MC. and i'm not gonna like spoil it because a big part of the fun obviously of a reality competition show is figuring out for yourself who you think is gonna win mm-hmm. but it really creates a format that I hope Netflix does for more seasons. Like, I don't know that the judges will stay the same because they have such huge names. Like, I don't know that Cardi B is going to want to come back like season after season. Mm-hmm. But I hope that no matter what, the show keeps going because it was so fun to watch. <laughs> they like, I don't know, it has kind of like a making the bandiness or like Charlie XCX's nasty cherry ishness where like Mm -hmm. you can tell that they're all just kind of like living together and exhausted. (laughs) Like they (laughs) they do not get the chance to sleep. So like the longer the season goes on, the more that you're like, yeah, it's crazy that you got on that stage and like did that performance because you were in a studio all night the night before recording. Like you get to kind of see (laughs) the process they put these people through. Mm -hmm. So you kind of get that, but it never becomes a reality show. Like there's a wholesomeness to it a la Terrace House where like ultimately everybody's friends, everybody's rooting for each other. And like you get to see people support one another and like help them try to do their best. So it's like that kind of reality yeah like when someone wins you're like yay his talents that's a very like yeah like a great british bake-offy thing too it seems easier to fall on the crutches of just having a villain and having conflict manufacturing conflict is so easy but manufacturing a space where everyone can like be happy and just focused on their passion and their talent seems like a tougher sell and also just like a harder thing to capture Or, like, relying on the conflict being organic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, it's not that conflict doesn't arise. It's that the conflict that arises isn't Bobby threw a drink in my face and slapped me. The conflict is, like, Bobby was late and I feel disrespected. And now we have to have a conversation. Like, it's just normal it's (laughs) It's people being normal like a producer sent me an email one morning i was like you hate christine today (laughs) you and christine are in a fight good morning (laughs) you hate her today don't ask questions okay okay great good morning you know you're really impressed because you know when i saw you you looked like you was gonna mop some floors that you were saying good things in English and in Spanish. You wasn't saying no bullshit in Spanish. You could write for me if you want to. <laughs> There's no problem. Um, the next show on my list is, I'm sort of looking at the ones that I have here and it's like, what order do I want to reveal them in? It still isn't a ranking, but I'm just trying to like keep a particular rhythm and flow, so to speak. <laughs> and I'm going to go to Dead to Me. Ooh. And I will say Dead to Me because... And I think I mentioned this when we talked about the show earlier this year, but this is a show I did not expect to like. This is Linda Cardellini and... Linda Cardellini and Christina Applegate. Yes. And I love to be surprised by things. And again, the trailer is misleading by design because it has to be because the 
the pilot ends with a twist that is much more satisfying if you don't know it going in. It's also structured in that sort of very addictive way where every episode ends with a cliffhanger. And I think that Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini in yet again another show about friendship, but it's like the two of them gave two of my favorite performances of this year in anything. They're that The relationship between the two of them, even though there is a lot of death and darkness in it, the finale of that relationship and the way that it ultimately concludes, even though it is coming back for a second season, like we'll see where it goes next. So many things are working against them. And yet the way that they end up is just feels like completely earned and deserved. And I was just fully surprised by that show. And it's, there's really, there's not a whole lot to it, but the fact that the two of them are in it, I think just adds so much to it. And I will say that like, I'm usually averse to like, a gimmicky cliffhanger as mm-hmm. a repeated tool. Oh, me too. And it doesn't jerk you around or like make you feel manipulated at all. Like every time an episode ends, you're not like, oh, they're just trying to get me to tune into the next episode. You're like, wait, what? Like you <laughs> you just immediately want to know what the mechanics that made that the case are. Mm-hmm. So it's another one where like when the continue watching pops up, you're like, yeah, I will continue watching. <laughs> like, yeah. I got to know. I got to know what that just established. And Christina Applegate is she's one of those actors who when you see them in something after a while, you're like, I didn't realize that I missed you. And I'm just so glad you're back. It's a role that like she deserves. <laughs> she deserves to get to like do some really great acting and also have comedy moments and also mm-hmm. like tug at your heartstrings. I was expecting very little from the show and I was given a whole lot. Definitely. It's also one of those shows that is much more universally liked than I sort of suspected. Like I, my parents watched it, my sister watched it, my weird aunt watched it, and yes, I'm. This is exclusively people within the Finger Family universe, but <laughs> these are also groups of people within the Finger Family universe that never agree on anything. So that that surprised me too. As someone who comes from like a ginormous family, that like having a one piece of anything let alone tv that like you can sit down and have like three different generations say like oh i watched that and thought it was funny mm-hmm. you're like wait what <laughs> like you all of you. us all of it i sincerely also feel that mm-hmm. <laughs> we genuinely have something in common like that's such a moment but no matter what the circumstances everyone is deserving of forgiveness you really think that jesus thought that amen um, excuse me, um, how do you forgive someone who hits your husband with their car and then drives away, leaving him to bleed to death on the side of the road? How do you forgive that? No, that's it. I don't really want to get into it, so someone else can go. What is next on your list? I have a ton of stand-up on this. I saw that. I don't even know that I need to get into every special individual. I, uh, to everyone who's not privy to this note I'm looking at, I just have like seven bullets in a row that are stand-up specials. So like, I'm not going to make you sit through seven separate reviews of stand-up on Netflix this year. But I will say that there is some really awesome one-hour material that's fresh for you. 
Dion Cole's Coalhearted, I thought was amazing. He used to write mm-hmm. for Conan, and now he's an actor on Blackish. So this mm-hmm. is kind of him like pivoting back to stand up, which I like. Jenny Slate's Stage Fright has been mentioned so many times on this podcast by guests off like the top. Reason. But it's worth mentioning one last time. Like, if you think you might like it, give it a shot. Uh, <laughs> Seth Meyers' Lobby Baby. I loved him. I don't think I've ever seen him do stand-up, frankly. I mean, other than, like, his monologue, which I guess uh-huh. is, like, organic stand-up or Weekend Update is technically, I guess, kind of, like, written stand-up. But, like, mm-hmm. not in one man, one microphone, and then, like, an audience of blackness. It was really cool to see him in a format that you're not used to seeing him in. And it was also mm-hmm. super vulnerable. It was about, like his marriage with his wife and how because of kind of like his own feelings of ineptitude as a husband he like uh is coming to realize how wonderful she is in his life kind of or like how much she puts up with from him like Mm -hmm. he's kind of celebrating his wife to his own chagrin and then at the end he does 10 minutes or maybe it's five minutes like in character as her And he's like, I feel like I've talked about my wife so much during this special that it would only be fair to hear from her. And he just like (laughs) roasts himself as her for a couple minutes. And it's there's this one bit he does where he he's like, sometimes Seth will open the refrigerator and he'll say there's no yogurt in here. And from across the room, I'll say there is yogurt in there. And he just like does a back and forth in like you can tell that she would laugh at the bit too. (laughs) And you're like, this is a really wonderful special about marriage where you actually feel like he's not just going like, ah, my wife or like, (laughs) ugh, women. He's like, I love and respect my wife. She makes my life better. And also, by the way, our life together is funny. So that Mm -hmm. was great from him and I hope can help shape some other people's stand up maybe. (laughs) Sometimes my husband will open the refrigerator and say, we're out of yogurt, and I will say, we are not out of yogurt. And he will say, I swear to God, there is no yogurt in this refrigerator. And I will say, please don't make me come over there and find the yogurt. And he will say, on our child's lives, there is no yogurt in this refrigerator. And then I will walk over to the refrigerator, and it will take me this long to find the yogurt. Mike Barbiglia's, he has one called The New One, Mm -hmm. which is actually really different and like a Broadway show. So if you're maybe more into theater than live comedy, maybe Mike Barbiglia's is the one for you. Tiffany Haddish has one called Black Mitzvah, and it's about how because she grew up as a foster child, like she has all of these different identities in her past and she's like coming in her adulthood into more understanding about the Jewish part of her past. And mm-hmm. it's like a celebration, I guess, of her kind of feeling like she's finally an adult woman and celebrating herself in the same way that the Jewish religion might do so for a 13 year old. Mm-hmm. Michelle Wolf's joke show, I think, is the one that I do want to recommend, though. Because she did a one-hour special following up her White House Correspondents' Dinner, which was pretty iconic. Right. Like, she really eviscerated the president and anyone who might stand beside him without endorsing him. Mm-hmm. I think it probably ruined her mentions, obviously. Right. <laughs> Not that they would have been amazing to begin with. 
But her one hour for Netflix seems like a meditation on like what she would want to say to the people who are harassing her online if she could. And mm-hmm. so it's all period jokes, abortion, abortion jokes, rape jokes. Like it's exclusively quote unquote femme female hack material. And it's not just like the bulk of her special it's the entirety of the special it's the meat of the it's the entire meal you cannot turn away from femininity at any point in the hour or like quote unquote grossness at Mm -hmm. any point in the hour and then at the end she just kind of like holds her hands up and walks off stage and it's so beautiful she's wearing all black it's like a black long sleeve t-shirt and black jeans and i also loved she wore sneaker wedges in her first stand-up <laughs> special, which is a like piece of footwear that's very pegged to like 2013, I want to say. Like it's it happened one winter that women were wearing sneaker wedges and Michelle Wolf recorded something that winter. And so I also imagine that she gets a lot of roasts in her mentions about the specific trend stuff that is kind of like intrinsic to watching a video of her from a couple of years ago. So she's wearing like the same outfit that a commenter would have been bullying her about, delivering exclusively material that her haters don't want to hear anymore. Mm -hmm. And just like gave herself the challenge of making it as smart and cutting as she could and also accessible and educational and instructive. Like there's a big portion of it that's like addressing white women who maybe like some of her material but then find other things crass. She addresses people in a way that I think (laughs) will open up some minds and probably ruffle even more feathers. But I'm proud of like it makes me as a stand-up fan who often has a difficult time explaining to people like what it is as an art form Michelle Wolf's stand-up special is like what I think about when I think about like taking an hour of people's time and performing comedy. It's a really good thing to do. Like if you're looking for stand-up this holiday, I would say that's the one. Christine, you're making me want to stop this recording early and go watch it right now. (laughs) What a pitch. What a pitch. (laughs) The next thing on this list is Money High Season 3, really part three. I love Money Heist. I love Money Heist so much. I never in a million years would have watched Money Heist if not for this podcast. I keep thinking about the fourth part of Money Heist, which will conclude the second chapter in the Money Heist universe. I want that finale more than I want any announced big blockbuster coming to theaters next year. (laughs) Like the finale of Money Heist is so important to me right now and it was just recently announced it's going to premiere on like april 3rd or something i need to know how they're going to finish this heist (laughs) i have no doubts that they will finish the heist and i think that that's sort of one of the most wonderful things about this show one of the 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 best compliments i could possibly give this show is that i know in my heart of hearts like i have no doubts whatsoever that they are um 
going to complete this heist successfully and be very rich at the end of it. <laughs> Maybe a couple people will die, but they will complete the heist and they will be the victors. Uh, that's obvious. Of course that's going to happen. But like in the same way, in a sort of shade of how dead to me every episode ends with a cliffhanger, every episode of Money Heist is a heist. Like it's a separate heist or it's an element of the heist. And as a fan of heist movies, like what more could you possibly want from a series than a different heist every single week or every single episode? You did not watch Money Heist, did you? Or did you watch Money Heist? I think I've watched like half of season one. I don't think I made it through the whole of season one, but I do know kind Mm -hmm. of like the premise of the very beginning of the show Mm -hmm. that like we have kind of like a team of people who all have cities as their code names Mm -hmm. like specific skills Mm -hmm. trying to rob the mint right like the Mm -hmm. the nation of spain's like printer for their money (laughs) yes and then it's like the national bank and the mint so it's like what's harder than the other let's just up the ante it's the show i found myself recommending most this year probably weirdly nice just because it's so it's so 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 popular in other countries specifically spanish speaking countries and i think people who predominantly speak english only speak english in america uh have problems watching things with subtitles anything with subtitles i yeah. know i do it's just like because when you have because you can't multitask, you know, like it's a tough sell for anyone to watch something with subtitles. And I understand that. But it is the thing that I keep recommending to people because I feel like I watch fewer shows than most people do, I would say. And so this felt like the one ace up my sleeve, you know, that I that I was watching that maybe most of my friends weren't. Nice. Um, but now let's get into our favorite Netflix shows and films of the year. I have I'm going to cheat. So here's me cheating. I'm going to do three things, but the first two in really quick succession because they're sort of like honorable mentions. Love that. The first one, The Irishman. I finally watched it and I was like, oh, wow, this is great. This is just a really good Martin Scorsese movie. Good for this for existing. This feels huge. Have you watched it yet? Mm -mm. Watching it, you're like, oh, wow. I'm watching a big, important, huge movie event by Martin Scorsese. This feels just like another Martin Scorsese movie. I'm not sure why I expected it to feel all that different, probably because I was watching it at home and it was brand new, but it was very comfortable. It was like the space he is comfortable in. It's like a mob movie. It's long. It's epic. It's a bunch of old men. The de-aging technology is surprisingly undistracting. You get over it very quickly and it's like, okay, yeah, it's young Robert De Niro now. It's young Joe Pesci now. And guess what? They're all good. It looks so (laughs) expensive and lush and the music is great the sound is great it's so much fun to watch and it's three and a half hours long like you feel like you feel like you like read a book or something you feel it feels substantial like you did work somehow you know like i accomplished something today i watched the irishman i love that the second thing i'm going to add to honorable mention is a show whose implications are sort of infinite because it's about the multiverse it's a show that could go on forever technically if it wanted to Unfortunately, it only got two seasons, which, you know, whatever, it's fine because those two seasons are amazing. And I'm amazed that it even got those two insane seasons of television. But it's the OA second season. I loved it so much. That's all I'm going to say. I loved it so much. And I think the ending works because, yeah, it's sort of technically a cliffhanger. But the universe that these people live in is like full of nonstop multiverse jumping. So like there's always going to be a cliffhanger. It's the multiverse. You can always reset, you know, it's fine. You have to end it somewhere. And the OA ended in a nice little spot. 
my actual favorite thing in 2019 feels crazy having mentioned the Irishman 45 seconds ago, but it's I think you should leave. Hell yeah. I think you should leave I think is my favorite thing on Netflix in 2019 and I could even narrow it down and say the car focus group sketch is my favorite thing on Netflix in 2019 and that's not even a joke. It's the funniest thing that I've seen in 2019. It's a thing I've quoted most often in 2019. It's the thing on Netflix I've thought about most often in 2019 that I've rewatched most often in 2019. It's the funniest it's the funniest 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 thing and I I feel blessed to have seen it once. I feel like you need to play audio from it right here. Right here. What are some ways we can make it family friendly? No a space for mother-in-law. That's not helpful. Shut up, Paul. You probably love your mother-in-law. I actually do. Oh my God, he admitted it. <laughs> Paul? What? Paul? What? You have the good Shut up. I'm doing the best at this. All right, maybe we should lay off Paul. That's what his wife said. (laughs) (laughs) What more can I say about that? It's incredible. I've probably gushed about it enough over the past, you know, 12 months of doing this. But if you haven't watched I Think You Should Leave, you got to watch I Think You Should Leave. It's sketch comedy. From SNL alumni Tim Robinson. Mm -hmm. So, like, you probably only know his face from, like, holding a sign in the back of a sketch. He was, like, a featured player, so he never really got to, like, shine as much. And here you really get to see, like, why they probably cast him. Like, he's a goofy, silly guy, and he looks really normal, so you don't expect it from him. And these sketches always go on longer than you expect them to, but not in the sort of typical... SNL way where things just go on long because they have to fill time. These go on long because they just keep getting more deranged and more uncomfortable. And you can kind of understand why he wasn't the best fit at SNL because he's a little too weird. These are not like network friendly sketches because they're just too bizarre. But I I revisit them all the time. I think about them all the time. It's my favorite thing on Netflix in 2019. And I when I immediately thought about it, Like, what was your favorite thing on Netflix in 2019? It was, I think you should leave. And I was like, that's crazy. It couldn't possibly be that. But it absolutely is. I love that. And what's your number one, Christine? My big recommendation, I feel like I would be remiss to not mention Beyonce's homecoming uh, concert special. Mm -hmm. I thought that was such a cool collabo. Like, I was so thrilled to hear that it was coming out and like immediately knew that I was going to be like refreshing my page to like see it populate Mm -hmm. like I wanted to watch it immediately and I think I mean it came out in the spring I'm smiling right now like racking my brain trying to like find (laughs) sentences just because like I'm making the feeling again (laughs) of what it was like to watch it it's just like oh this woman has an insane canon of hits like every single era of her life even though like her lps maybe you're not listening to like song one to finish like Mm -hmm. the singles from every album are at least three or four deep and so Mm -hmm. like watching her do an entire coachella set of or two coachella sets of like these songs 
that span, a career that feels infinite, but like somehow she's like 40, was really amazing and fun. And obviously like having the college band and the step team, like it felt like a historic moment for Coachella. It felt like a really cool moment in Beyonce's career to like come back from having twins to like get in shape to do this. So there's like documentary elements that as a fan you're like wow yeah like (laughs) when she shows her like small body to Jay-Z she's like I finally like am the size that I was hoping to be and he's kind of like good for you it's like you should be fucking screaming right now (laughs) your your wife is insanely talented I like that even though I guess like Lemonade and the original Beyonce album the one where she dropped the album and all the videos the visual album at the same time felt sort of like paradigm shifting and like huge culturally as well this just just the sheer like intricacy of it and the rehearsals required for it just felt like a bigger actual piece of art you know than maybe those other two things just because like the sheer work that went into staging this whole thing and creating it and editing it felt bigger than either of those two things that preceded it even though there wasn't really any new music in it yeah it was live performances but like somehow she turned her entire career of songs that everyone already knows into maybe the most like captivating thing she's ever done she didn't even need to do like a new narrative it was just her performing and I think that's like kind of the most amazing thing about it and like the biggest testament to her that like she truly is at her best when she's just straight up being the best performer in the country, you know, and on the planet. And when she has, like, control over what her brand says. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say that she was rehearsing just as hard for, like, every Destiny's Child music video or, like, for every Grammy's performance or whatever else. But there wasn't a camera there documenting it, or at least there mm-hmm. wasn't a camera documenting it that we got access to that footage. She her brand is so controlled and private mm-hmm. and sealed that there's something really uh, nutritious in having her give you <laughs> that access. Like it's not, I don't know, like a fan cell phone video being like, here's Beyonce like walking into. It's like she the fact that she's giving it to you in an Oprah e way. Like it feels like a gift. It feels mm-hmm. like you are being granted access into this person's life and it's only because she wants you there and you better not fuck it up like that's what giving documentary footage feels like for me it's all on netflix right now you know it's all on netflix right now and like and it it, and that's just the interstitials yeah like and then there's a concert on top of it (laughs) Mm -hmm. i'm like standing about like her career but like you could ignore all of that and just watch her sing like tonight i'll be your naughty girl with like a cool fucking (laughs) brass band (laughs) and like not think about it too hard um and i think there's no better way to end an episode of this podcast or the year than just like praising beyonce how could you not do that participate in that particular kind of praise I'm going to praise you, Christine. Thanks for coming on. Happy 2019. This has been such a wonderful year in the pod. It has. And this has been a nice little trip back through all of our all of our months doing this. We'll be back in January with another season of people coming on to talk about all the shows they're obsessed with. We'll have new guests. We'll have new music. We'll have new shows and films. Um, and same old me and Christine. Have a great new year. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.